The Book Thingo podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and book lists. Reedy and Gabby join me for episode 60, recorded in Sydney. Book Thingo would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Australia's Indigenous people to our shared literary heritage. Welcome to the Book Thingo podcast, talking about books we love, especially romance. Kill a fairy fast on the Book Thingo podcast. Welcome back to the Book Thingo podcast. I'm Kat Mayo from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. Rudy and Gabby are back with me, and today we are talking about the All About Romance Top 100 Romance List, the good, the bad, and the books that should have made it. You can find information on the titles and authors we talk about in this episode by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 60. We're going to go by alphabetical order. How boring. What? We're not going through the list. Oh, no. That's disappointing. Like, we're just talking about How long it. do you think people are going to stick with us if we just go through like the Like evaluate list? every single book that we've read. No, I wouldn't do that. So. Yes, Kat, I just want to really quickly acknowledge this. Um, Kat, in the very last episode. I promised people nipples and I had yeah. to backtrack on that promise. Kat promised people nipples. And then I hate fun, so I actually removed that entire discussion. <laughs> and I feel like it's important for me to make a formal apology. <laughs> yeah, why are you so anti-nipple? Um, it's actually very fucked. I didn't well, the thing is, I'm, I'm not... No, I feel like that's a lie, because if you were pro-nipple, you wouldn't have cut out that conversation. It just... Kat does this thing to me sometimes. It's my fault. My fault that the nipple got cut. It just sounds awful when you say it like that. And the nipple got cut. The nipple. Ow. No. Kat does this thing to me sometimes where she she will start conversations or ask questions that she knows I won't keep. Like... (laughs) I just don't care. She doesn't care, so she just does it. And she thinks that if she can, like, if she <laughs> keeps doing it, maybe she'll wear me down. And do you know what? I won't. I won't be worn down. That's all I'm saying. All I know is your anti-nipple. If Kat does something wrong <laughs> and an entire... Gabby has no idea what we're talking so about. Because does... Gabby doesn't listen to the podcast. Listen, listen. I know a bandwagon when I see it <laughs> and I'm jumping on it. Rudy, your anti-nipple, okay? <laughs> the decision's been made. You're outvoted. I don't we know. Need I think more nipples just, on the podcast. I don't want to threaten to get a I'm, producer because that's rude. <laughs> I don't think we can do that. <laughs> Look, I, I'm very open to having a nipple podcast. Gabby, but um, I feel not. like it's quite political. It is. No, I am because I was like, no, Fuck. I know. Like this is actually anyway. We can't. I'm not going to sidetrack this conversation. We're here to do something really specific, and we will. But I just, I'm sorry that the nipple conversation had to be dropped from the last episode and I promise it's on my list. I just can't preempt her because she ruins my ideas. She's lying. She hates nipples. I think Kat's right on this, which she very rarely is. Oh, how the turns have tabled. <laughs> Listen, as long as it's not me being bashed, I will bash either one of you. Like, I don't care. I'm safe. Anyway, hi, I'm Rudy. Hi, I'm I- <laughs> Oh my God. Literally one job, one job, one job. Oh my Hello, God. I'm okay. Kat. No, nah, 
Nah. Rude. It was bad. Rude. Do it again. Use, a, use your normal voice. I said, hello, I'm Kat. <gasps> that was actually really cute. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gabby. We need to find a way of doing that a little bit more naturally, but it does need to happen. Can it be cute? Like, I just want it to be us and cute and less awkward. What would be cute, though? Like, could, we could have a jingle. I feel like you're just really into the idea of singing because our singing debut on Rumba Club yes. <laughs> went really well. Woohoo! I can't sing. Cat like, refused to sing with us. Participate. Yeah, that was really good. Really rude. Rude. I come like, from a country where you can be killed for singing. Holy so, shit! Why do you no have to thanks. make it dark though? Like, do you have to make it dark immediately? As long as you're not singing my way, I'm pretty <laughs> sure you're fine. Can you actually die from? Like oh, from yeah, no, we not quite, told quite this sincerely. Story? Okay. No. So in the early 2000s, there was a guy who was singing My Way by Frank Sinatra in a karaoke bar in the Philippines. And one of the bartenders pulled out a gun and shot him. Oh, my God. And then there was a series of copycat incidents. And it's like approximately seven other cases of the same thing happening and it's the same song but like in the philippines and so they're called the my way murders and i was listening to my favorite murder which is a comedy crime podcast and they were talking about it and then i really angrily sent cat a message to be like how dare you not tell me about this did it's- you know about it of course i knew about it that's why i don't go to i don't sing a karaoke because you're scared of Because I fear for my life. I told Rudy I... that Filipinas take it very seriously and that we can die from this. And That's she doesn't so she doesn't remember like it's that not conversation. She, I what I remember, amazing. I remember Kat telling me, Filipinas take karaoke really seriously. No, like you don't understand, like really seriously. And that was it. That was the end of the story and the end of the conversation. Because I was like, story. well, that's boring. <laughs> That's half of the story. Yeah, she didn't tell me people were getting killed. Yeah, that's really weird. There's some Sinatra. karaoke bars I've heard that refuse to play my way. Just yeah, it's been it's taken off rotation. It's a it's a fucking irritating song. No, it's actually not. That's untrue. It's an amazing song. <laughs> it's a really difficult song to sing, though. Yeah, I'd and be so really people good at it. who do it badly are so annoying, and it just goes on and on and on. So, like, I'm not saying that people deserve to be shot. I'm just saying. <laughs> I feel that, like, like that is what you were saying. Actually, <laughs> I'm absolutely not saying people deserve to be shot for making bad choices. They do deserve to be booed. <laughs> anyway, I don't sing at karaoke, even though I have a great voice. I actually do. Like at my year twelve graduation dinner. I was singing Phantom of the Opera. Wow. Like proper operatic. Like that not, does not on stage, me. just at my table. Oh, okay. But my friend's parents were speaking to my parents and they were like, oh my God, where did she get trained? Like, she's amazing. And my parents were like, what the hell? <laughs> and I was like, this is what I've always wanted. I used to casually sing in public in the hopes that someone would scout me. Did you ever try out for <gasps> Did you ever do that? Idol? I feel like you would have done that. Rudy, I'm putting um, you. Not Kat. Kat it wouldn't be that. me. I'm tone deaf. No, because no, I've, I've always known that my singing is best described as enthusiastic amateur. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I have the best singing ability here. I would definitely say that. Toss, toss. I'm tossing my hand. This is, we're not being filmed. But anyway, how would you know? But I narrated it. All right, so today we're actually meant to be talking about the All About Romance Top 100 Romances list for 2018. Before we get really into it, I'm going to say my number one pet peeve is that only the top 10 are ranked. I actually hate that the others are not ranked because I think if this is a top 100 romance, you need to know the difference 
in quality between a number I mean, popularity, 95. We should popularity, say. sorry. Uh, between a number 95 versus a number 13. Like, do you not? Like, it's a cop-out. Did they me, say it feels up front? Like that, Did they say up front that they weren't going to rank the top 100? Or no. is that just something that... No, it's a decision that was made after. They... Posthumously. Because <laughs> the poll is dead now. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of sad. Well, I... I've never used the top 100 poll to find books, but I know, Gabby, you mentioned yeah. um, in the gateway. Well, we, um, both romantic. we both did. You both did. Yeah. I wanted to know which books were popular. So I work my way through the ones that seemed appealing, but I definitely start at the top. So now how am I meant to do that? Right. Oh, see, I never started at the top, but I did work my way through mm. as many on the list as I could. And right, because if you only have like budget for 10 books, you more likely get the books Sort of in the top half, top quarter, rather than the ones in 95, Because, Rudy, if you're saying you didn't do from the top, why do you care about the rankings then? Because I want to know what the (laughs) rankings are and then I want to be able to make a judgment call of my own of like, okay. She wants to judge the readers. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's a popularity poll. So why not just rank it according to popularity? It is what it is. And it's also also really fascinating to kind of see authors like Georgette Heyer in the past have always ranked like pretty high. And like I would skip her books because I just, they've never really interested me. But like. I understand why they kept ranking high. And so it was, there was curiosity in sort of those shifts. And it's why things like, I mean, the top 10 is kind of fascinating because after how many fucking years the the top 10 has shifted, you know, number one is now Devil in Winter by Lisa Claypass. And it has been... Lord of, Lord of Scoundrels, Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. Lord of Scoundrels yeah. was like for a solid four years or something. Yeah. It was always the top yeah. since I can remember looking at the poll. For it to be replaced by a book that it's definitely been in competition against in the past is fascinating to mm. me. But, you know, like they moved, one moved up and one moved down. It's not like a huge difference. No, but like why? I just. But also by how much. It could just be like a handful. Could like, be massive. I don't know. Guys, I feel like we're missing the really big point. We are. So I know why. Can I? No, my actually, theory. My theory. Why? Not thinking of the big point that I'm about to mention. Oh, okay. Mine is. When I say it's a big point, it's probably not the biggest point. But how did a book called Beard Science beat Flowers from the Storm? <laughs> like that's the. <laughs> that's actually where so I'm at. I'm, I'm actually. Like, I know. I know the actual issue, and we're going to talk about that. And I care about that too. But I'm just like. Well, that beard science is really popular. Like, but it's a third book as well in a series. But does that matter? It's a popularity contest. So is Devil in Winter. Yeah, but that's different. That's how it's only different. A lot of, I think what Gabby's trying to say is it's had a lot of years to grow a fan base. Exactly. So for, sounds a lot better. <laughs> for beard science, who, who's, which is a relatively Penny new Reed. book to get into the top ten. Mm. Um, against and be higher up than a Kinsale or even Austin. I mean, Sally, Sally Thorne made like number seven. <laughs> They're laughing at my English again. I can't help it. White people's names is really hard. But you know who Austin is. Yeah, but like, that's my native tongue coming out and you're laughing at it. I keep hearing that. Oh my God. Austin. 
Jane Austen. I don't even know how to say it now. Austen. But what oh, I love is that I was ready to just let her go. I couldn't. And you, Gabby I couldn't. couldn't even like talk. It was Austen. She said Austen. <laughs> she know. said Jane Austen before. I know. <laughs> Why would she all of a sudden say Austen when we're recording? I don't even know what we're laughing Anyway, I'm going to read Beard Science to see if it is better than... Flowers, uh, I think it would be so hard. Flowers from the Storm is well, a work of art, really. I mean, oh, is it? It is. You actually love the book. I can be objective about a book's merits without loving the book itself. Well, I think it's actually better than either Lord of Scoundrels. Or yes, so do time, I, actually. So. But, you know, I think Devil in Winter uh, made it to number one because Lisa Claypass released Devil in Spring. Oh, yeah. no, I know that. So. I know that that's what actually brought it up. I just think that that's, oh, that's like... Mean. If that's the reason that people have rediscovered the love of Devil in Winter. Like, it's weird. Mm. It's a weird thing to have happened. Do you think the same people who are voting in 2013 are the same people voting this year? Yes. Yes. I I think that there's probably a few new voters. Actually, there definitely have to be new voters, which is why things like the Wall of Winnipeg and... Beard Science and the Hating Game mm. have ranked so highly. There has to have been new people involved in the voting process, but like they're still kind of the same core group of readers. Mm. It is good that Seditious Affair is up there as number eight by KJ Charles. I feel like that is a brilliant book and it's really, really nice to see a queer romance ranking like a non why. Yeah, a non-straight romance ranking in the top ten. That's, I think, a good sign. But as Rudy rolls her eyes, <laughs> no, struggling I wasn't. To get I wasn't actually rolling my eyes. That's just my face. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many of the top ten have you read, Gabby? One, two, three, four, five. See, I actually don't know if I've read The Hating Game. I feel like I have, but if it if I haven't, it's five. How about yourself, Rudy? Seven. I've only read five. I can't remember if I've read Not Quite a Husband. Mm. I, I feel have. like maybe I haven't. It's got the red cover. Maybe I it's have. been on the it's made the list like in the past, which is why I read it. Didn't love it. So it wouldn't have made my top ten, but you know. Outlander is one that annoys me. <laughs> yeah. Like I know that it holds a really, really special place in people's hearts, but I just feel like it doesn't satisfy the criteria enough to be on the list. Like people, because it says in the little thing, are you reading the um, the little blurb at the top where it says five were in a top ten in our last poll, five are historical romances, three are contemporary romances, too many claim aren't truly romances. Is the other one, would you assume that that's talking about Pride and Prejudice? Pride and Prejudice and Outlander. So. Yeah, yeah, those are the two, right? Those are the two I that think I think so. would be the most contentious. So I think that Pride and Prejudice fits the criteria in the sense that there's a happy ending, yeah. there's a, like, dickhead hero, there's a <laughs> bookish heroine. Like, they invented the tropes. Like, Jane Austen invented those tropes. I believe you mean Jane Austen. Jane Austen. 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 Oh, stop. Um, but Outlander, like... <laughs> There's I haven't read two, it and I'm not she's, gonna. She's married to one dude, time travelled to a different era where she's sort of trying to get back to her husband but also falling in love with the hot Scottish dude that she just kind of happens to be with as well. Jamie. Jamie, yeah. If this was like, say, a romance 
MFM, that would be a totally fine trope. Yeah. Obviously, because she can be in love with two men. But I feel like because this is not like that at all, it just makes me question its place as being labelled in the genre. What's her name? Diana? Gabaldon. Gabaldon. I, <laughs> Did yeah. I say that right? I was actually going to uh. say Gabaldon. Gabaldon. Anyway, whatever her name is, I think that she would also question whether it's a she did not consider it to be a romance she hates she us. really does not enjoy being us. labeled romance no yeah because men read her and men don't read romance yeah but also didn't she say something about um wasn't she the one who said oh if you have an arts degree you're going to end up working in a fast food restaurant i'll fact check that yes please. and if it's wrong i will have cut it <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> um, but yeah no she she really doesn't enjoy being labeled romance or considered romance because to her she writes sci-fi fantasy time travel all of that but see that doesn't bother me i mean it's a reader poll right so if the reader considers it romance fair enough fact checked author diana gabaldon says english majors will end up serving fast food english major equals want fries with that jokes on you diana because <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being no yeah. being a fast food worker there's nothing wrong with it God, she's such a snob. Yeah, this is why I don't think she deserves to be on the list. And speaking of deserving to be on the list, that was a seg. Where the fuck is Beverly Jenkins on that I know, list? I know. I know. Do you know why? Like, it's almost I haven't like even read her and I know she should be on that list. But the thing is, all this talk about how, because it has been coming up, Beverly Jenkins is a name that's been coming up constantly in the past few years particularly. Like she's had a resurgence in terms of the impact that she's made on the genre and the way people talk about her and appreciate her. But it is fucking lip service. It's lip service since no one is willing to actually put her name down on a ballot and say, she deserves to be. Or when they do put her name down on a ballot, they mix her up and combined her with Brenda, Brenda Jackson. Jackson yes. And it, she no. becomes Beverly Jackson. The fact that she's missing from this list is bizarre. It's been, it's been an important dialogue to have, but it's like it just considering the fact that we have been having these conversations for so long now. And I feel like I thought that the fire had really started to burn and that like that change was on the horizon. Like I really, really did. Is it a step back to see this list and to say there's only one black author? Because there is an important difference in saying, okay, look at all the women of color that are on this, on this list. Cause there are more women of color, but the absence of black authors in particular is a striking one. What it does for me is it makes me think about the Triple J Hottest 100. And so in the lead up to in the lead up to the Hottest 100 every year there's a lot of discussions about are we actually going to see, you know, people of color making the top list? Are we going to see a woman getting, yeah. you know, in the top 10, in the top spot even? This is how many women make the list each year. And one of the key kind of pieces to that argument is what you hear on on that station in the lead up to the voting process absolutely influences your vote. So if you're a listener of that station and you don't hear very many women, you're probably not going to vote for very many women. Yeah. If you're a reader of that blog and you don't read reviews, from books that are authored by women of colour, are you realistically going to vote for a woman of colour? I mean, they, they reviewed Alyssa Cole's An Unexpected Union and they gave it a C. Like, fuck off. 
That book is not a C. How dare. I'm just looking at it now. I'm going to pull up the review and just have a quick read because I actually haven't read it. So out of the list, there are six women of colour authors. Between them, 16 books in total in the top 100. Of those, as you mentioned, there was only Alyssa Cole, who was a black author, and only one was not from the US, which was Nalini Singh. Mm -hmm. So I think that's still pretty dismal stats. Between, I I didn't do the the maths, but if you count... What do you mean only one that's not from the US? Sally Thorne is not from the US. Author of colour. Oh, not or, from the oh US. okay. You yeah. mean yeah. you're only counting. Yeah. Of, of the six authors of colour, one was black, one was not from the US. And yeah, and the rest were non-black people of colour who were from the US. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay, I'm with you. <laughs> Complicated. And if you look at, um, for example, so Courtney Milan makes a list a few times, but the books of hers that make the list are your sort of um, were they her earlier ones? They were her um, historicals. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of her work is subversive regardless of what t- sort of part of her career we're looking at because even the very first book in the Turner series, I can't remember the name of it now, in that one there's this line and it's the heroine is talking about hating her freckles and the hero says this thing to her. Gabby's actually just finished reading a review <laughs> and she can't fucking cope. <laughs> Can I just tell, let me just read yeah, this just do it. I realise this is romantic fiction, but I found this depiction of slave life trivialised the very real lack of independence experienced by slaves in the South. Like, I just wonder if that same critique would be applied to, say, a romance heroine who goes out without a chaperone in a Regency novel. Like, why is it that this novel has to exemplify every true horrific aspect of a slave experience when being a woman in Regency times does not experience the same scrutiny? Also, I don't think that aspect of history is missing from that book. Mm. I think there's an extreme level of tension, like heightened tension when you're reading it and it, like, I, I had to skip to the end. I had to be really, really sure. And I, Alyssa Cole is an author that I love and I trust. And I knew that she wouldn't have done me wrong and made it not a happy ending. But I needed to know for sure mm. that these two were okay. And then, like, yeah, because it, it's... Mm. It's really funny the reading that you have given it and the reading that these reviewers have given it because they've said, to be honest, I feel like her freedoms just made things too convenient for her and Malcolm. It's actually a really hard book for me to reread because it's so, the the impact of it is so big. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I hate that review of it. Yeah, it's actually, like, I don't want to disparage another review I but just I fundamentally disagree with her. Have you read it? No. You should but read have it. have you read the book? I haven't read the book either. That's right. She's on my t- to finish list. To finish. Yeah, I, I started one of her books, but I think I just uh, wasn't in the right mindset for the pacing. Mm. So I need to go back to it mm. one day when I have time. Yeah. Because I, th- I don't think it's a book that you can put down after a few pages and then pick back up. Like you have to dedicate yourself to reading it properly mm. so you yeah. can follow it through. Um, for book thing, I reviewed Let It Shine and talked about how much that book meant to me because 
it really, for me, opened my eyes to the fact that I've never seen a relationship on the page that reflected my parents. Mm. But yeah, I think I think there's something kind of that's another book where if you were if you were being ungenerous, you might argue that their relationship is too easy and it but I really don't think that she I does mean, skip over those things. As opposed to what though? Like mm. as opposed to Devil in Winter, like the guy's a kidnapper yeah. and you're telling me that it wasn't like the happy ending was deserved. Like it's like you can suspend your you can suspend your kind of disbelief for what things that are convenient. For yeah, you. and Lord of Scoundrels, she shot him, and then at the end he was a complete dickhead to his stepson. Like honestly, yeah. Honestly. Also, just the fact that she sh- she's Quaker. Well, like she shoots him, and that that's not really a big deal. Like it would have absolutely been high risk. Yeah, there's like infection in the olden days. Exactly. <laughs> well, then we get into the whole thing like about how many times they have unprotected sex with rakes who, oh, I just, you know what though? Like why isn't there any venereal disease? Like really? <laughs> really? Nobody questions it. Nobody questions it because you don't Their expect teeth? it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Like, if we're going please, to get... Please, like, I don't want to imagine dental hygiene in the Regency times. Exactly, though. Like... But Outlander has time travel, I, so are you telling me it's not, that it's not realistic? I don't know. I don't know anymore. <laughs> like, realistically, Claire should actually be the cause of, like, a plague or some exactly. shit. Yeah, like, right. she should actually... We've all seen the butterfly like, she gets She gets one cough. And, like, she wipes out the entire... That's what it should be. If we're being realistic, time travel and diseases, that's what would happen. Yeah. But, yeah, she's also not immune to things like polio and... Smallpox. Yeah. Did they have smallpox at that time? I don't know. I have no idea. No, I don't even care. I think think this... Just I'm angry. I think this poll, though, it really shouldn't come as a surprise, even though we're pissed off and, like, kind of disappointed with the effects or or the results of it rather. It shouldn't come as a surprise considering what the Ripped Bodice reported on and their diversity report. Really it makes sense in the grand scheme of things because they're just reflecting what's being published and what readers are being exposed to because publishers aren't doing a good enough job of getting a diverse range of authors. The other thing I notice in this list is a lot of them are still traditionally published. So I don't know if that's a function of the readers who participate in the poll or whether in terms of popularity, if you're traditionally published, you still reach a wider audience. I'm not really sure what to conclude. But or you're must more be likely to be reviewed. Yeah, true. Oh, yeah, because of arcs and stuff. There are still some blo- blogs who don't really review self-published books. Um, and I think part of that is also volume. Like you just can't cope with the number of books being published. And so if you were going to put some boundaries around what you're willing to read... Traditional publishing might be one of them yeah. because people still see it as a quality gate, I guess. Yeah, they, they, they do. Should a top 100 list created by a blog that has a reader focus, like does it have a responsibility to advocate for yes. diversity? Yes. Do you genuinely think that or do you Yeah, just... I do. I do. Like I believe anyone that has a platform – like that or anyone who has a kind of uh, power in that kind of space has a responsibility to advocate those who don't have the same level of power. Is that not what we do all the time when we expect people to step up and be advocates for disempowered people or disenfranchised people? 
I'd hope so, but then I think about the the authors and the books that I talk about ad nauseum, and I I wonder if maybe I talk about the same authors and books all the time without actually acknowledging the new ones that I come across. Now that we're kind of getting to that, I am thinking about the fact that it makes no sense that I didn't read Beverly Jenkins as a teen, except for the fact that I don't remember seeing her on the top 100 list on All About Romance, and that's Mm. where I got my recs when I was sort of starting out. Same. I mean, I would pick up what was in my library, but when I was making informed choices, that was one of the few places that I was going. Mm. I actually, I used to print off, and I think you did this too, Gav. I used to print off the list and I would like highlight as I went through, like as I sort of read each book. And so I would keep kind of a running tally of how many I had got through before a new list came out. And for me, the goal was always to actually get through the whole 100. I think the closest I ever got was 75. Yeah, that's where I sat too. But there were just some that I just couldn't read. I mean, Georgia like Hire, if you're, yeah, if you're it. not going to read Georgia Hire, like exactly. you, I'm you've never going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Georgia. a pipe dream. <laughs> exactly. I think for me, it depends on what the blogger thinks their role is, the reviewer thinks their role is. So if they, if their aim is to review popular books, then you're not going to get the subset of books that are not yet popular that are still sort of gaining readership. But if you want to represent, if, if you want to review a good representation of books, or if you want to review books that you think are good quality, then you need to look in places and in readerships and communities that you might not always look at. Because if you don't, then you're assuming that all the good quality books are just the ones that are published by the people you know. Like, kinda... But it's difficult. Like I know for Book Thingo, it's actually really difficult to go out and search for books. Mm. And to some extent, <laughs> I lean on you and Rudy to find those books for me because I don't, you know, aside from the romance class books that I read, I don't really reach out to all those different communities who read not Clay Pass, not Chase, not yeah. Susan Elizabeth Phillips, not J.R. Ward, you know what I mean? Like those books are in my Twitter feed all the time and it's hard to find other books that are not getting as much buzz. It's funny that you kind of put the idea out there of if your idea is to read and review popular books, how does anybody expect to be at the forefront of what's popular and what is trending in romance if they're not reading widely? Like otherwise you're just reactionary. I guess so, but when you look, like there are, I don't want to name them, but there are some really big blogs that we don't even see in our Twitter feeds because we don't follow the bloggers, mm. but they have massive readerships. And, and when I look at their book list, it's white characters, white authors, very sort of what you would expect to see. It's not, see, it's not what we see me. in our Twitter feeds because we f- we make it a point to follow exactly. well, yeah, different types curated. of readers That's and authors. That's the thing. We curate our feeds. We curate the people like our social media networks with people that we want to hear from. And if you're not actually actively aware of the d- diversity or lack thereof in your circle, in your bubble, you're in a fucking echo chamber. You're in an echo chamber that you can't get out of. Like that, isn't that that whole argument? We are becoming more and more conservative with our approaches to life because we refuse to be challenged by alternative voices so we block those out we don't want to hear them we just kind of we stay in our little comfort zone in our little bubble 
We're all also, guilty some of readers just some look level. for very similar books, right? Some some readers just love super alpha, super dominant heroes, and you could put out a, a hero of color as long as he has those characteristics. Those readers will love them, but it's getting that book out in front of those readers that's the problem. Mm. Outside of people that have made that list, who's an author that you read that you would have put on there? I would have put Iris after the incident in the top 100. Mm. And I do notice that it made one of the lists for the write-in. So I was really glad that it even made it that far because that meant that it wasn't just me that wrote it in. That was really nice. It's <laughs> at least four other people. <laughs> yes. I'd put anything by Rebecca Weatherspoon on there. Where you said that um, Alyssa Cole wrote that first book where you saw or a book where you saw your parents' relationship kind of re represented. Rebecca Weatherspoon did that for me when she had this kind of like different religious background but the same kind of cultural representation on a page in a romance novel, which was shocking to me. The heroine had the same cultural expectations that had been placed on me and I'd never seen that represented in a book before. So that kind of has really stuck with me and has always resonated. So, yeah, I would have put um, the Fit series on there. What would you have done? There is an author that's kind of a little bit hot right now that I love, and it's Talia Hibbert. And a girl like her is a great starting point. But, like, literally, I, I would recommend people read everything of her. But she is doing some fucking cool things at the moment. And a girl like her is an own voices book about a black woman with autism and so she's, she is living in a small town. She's a bit of a social outcast, but she gets a new neighbor. He takes it upon himself to introduce himself to his new neighbor by bringing over a lasagna. And yeah, like they, they sort of slowly become friends and he cooks for her so that she doesn't get scurvy. <laughs> scurvy. <laughs> I Do don't actually, I actually don't remember if the scurvy thing is something that he says or something that is a concern of mine. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Probably a concern of yours. Because sometimes, sometimes when I'm eating really badly, um, <laughs> you think you're going to get scurvy. I'm convinced that I'm going to get scurvy and I better go have an orange. <laughs> you're insane. You're sick. Look, it's a like it's a problem when you're when you are time poor and fresh, a reality. fresh food. Yeah. But like particularly fresh vegetables and fruit. Um are really important and you've gotta yeah, like stop this living on coffee. This is a nutritional podcast. <laughs> Welcome just, to all Rudy's I'm saying is like hour. stop She's living on cutie. coffee <laughs> and go and eat an apple. <laughs> Hey, would you have put C.S. Pacat on this list? Yeah, fuck oath. So you consider her romance? Yeah, I do. Like, because I've always thought that the um, Captive Prince trilogy has always, like, kind of sat as one big book for right, me. Right, they just split it into three. Yeah, that, well, no, we just happened to cut it and twice. Um, you know who else didn't make this list? Sylvia Day didn't get that's a book surprising, in the list. That's surprising, I love Sylvia Day. Did Actually, did Ian like James Day? make it? That would be shocking, I think. What, that she made yeah, it or she didn't made make it. it? I'm still like, every time I think of the fact that it's not ranked from 11 onwards makes me so mad. And it makes that list seem worthless. Does that, is, that too, is that too much of a call? It's like, I don't think that that list has merit or weight if only the top 10 are ranked. 
Well, I want to know the reason. Like why? Because it seems why arbitrary. change listing method now? Like what is it that you get out of alphabetical order that you, that Do you, you know don't what? get out of rank order? Going back to what Rudy's saying, it being a cop out, being scared of the backlash, being scared if all authors of color are in the latter half or even towards like the final 20, that would be huge for them because they would have to quantify the fact that, okay, yeah, we only got six authors of colour and all of them are in the final 20 or like final 30 or 40 or whatever, like that would be hard for them to justify. I mean, stand by your methodology. If your methodology is wrong, you should have not used that methodology to begin with. You're probably right. But I think also maybe I would be interested to know whether, for example, all the Susan Elizabeth Phillips are all sort of bunched together mm. at the top, all the clay passes, all the, because by the time you finish with all those authors, you're left with like the bottom 30 or something. Like it's Lisa Claypass, Loretta Chase, Susan Elizabeth Phillips, J.R. Ward made it a few, like they're just authors there that, are just, that just keep coming up in the list. It almost makes me feel like they've made it on reputation as opposed to actual book quality. Well, this is this is one of those things. I kept seeing comments on the posts about the voting. Um, I don't know if these books would really like stand the test of time. That was me. That was my voice. That wasn't your voice, but I you did that. say that at one point. I did say, stand and, the test of time. <laughs> but it, it was a theme that kept coming up yeah. with people. And I never considered that's what the list was meant to do. No, it's I thought classic it was classic 100, is it? I thought it was a snapshot of where we're at right now. Like, what are the best books right now? If the list is meant to be what are the best books right now, I don't think that it's done it well. And if it's what are the books that are going to stand the test of time, I also don't think that it's done it well. It's Agreed. more which is the books, what are the books that people have a sentimental love for, I think is really but what I think that's, I think for. that's why I saw that list and said, are these books going to stand the test of time? Is Beard Science going to be a book that people are going to love in 10 years? Sorry to keep attacking Beard Science. I'm just, I'm going to read it and then we, I can. We'll, we'll read it eventually yeah. and we'll see <laughs> if we actually do think that it's it does. It's just such a trendy thing. <laughs> but the reason why I said it is because I think that's how I viewed these lists originally. Like they were almost these hallowed lists to me. It was kind of like canon. They were the canon for me. So that's how I saw it. I didn't, I never, ever thought, oh, the 2012 top list is only for 2012. I always viewed it as this kind of like legitimacy and wow, like if you're in this. And obviously that was the naivety of me as a young reader, but I, I think it's still like playing up inside um, me when I think of it. Maybe I just, because I know that I didn't ever think of it that way. And I think re the reason why is that there was a new list every two years. Mm. So I'd be like, well, you'd wait longer than two years if you expected it to be forever. Yeah. For mm. me, it was when I read Lord of Scoundrels and thought, what, this is number one. <laughs> See, I always thought that God, there was something annoying. wrong with me because of Lord of Scoundrels. Because God, of me. you guys are annoying. Why? Because <laughs> we don't like Lord of Scoundrels. I love that book. It's not her well, best Well, you can't work. love every Lisa Claypass work. Yeah, marrying Winterbourne is shit. Did you pick up on what she just did? <laughs> Lisa Claypass's work. <laughs> She's confused them again and you no, let her on, do it. I did it on purpose. No, I thought she was talking. She was using it as a comparison. She was, no, she was trying to make it sound like Lisa she Claypass. For a lot of scoundrels. Is the author of a lot of scoundrels. I didn't think she was that dumb. She is, though. We were just talking about it in one and two. Anyway, no, Marion Winterbourn is shit. Marion Winterbourn is a terrible 
Did it make it to yes. the list? Did it? Didn't you? Yeah, oh, no, I did. I said that. It was. That. It said, was in like. And I said, what a travesty. It was. It undermined the entire 50 list. 50 or something like that. Undermined the entire list for me. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It's a shit list. That book is oh, the worst book actually, I've ever read. You should actually be able to tell who was in the top 50. half of the list mm. because that's who was voted on to be able to make the top 10. Any book that's on the list that wasn't one of those what has to have been second the second half of the list. I was so actually they do actually the... know. They have a, of course they, they do. know what the ranking is. Yes. They just, yeah. I remember voting in that heat, I guess, and <laughs> thinking there's no actual title in the top 50 that I felt deserved the number one spot. And so I basically had to vote for an author that I loved and a book of theirs that wasn't my favourite. Really? Don't ask me which one. I can't what remember. What book would you have put at number one, Kat? I don't know, but not those. <laughs> I think, I think Joanna like... Bourne made it, but it wasn't the book that I loved of her, that I most loved of hers. Kinsale made it, but it wasn't obviously my favourite Kinsale. So things like that. And I, I just basically had to choose an author that I loved Fast and whatever the storm book is it was. Kinsale's I think I might have actually best chosen that one, just what? sort of objectively. It was either that one or... Well, I can't. I can't remember now. I have a bad memory. I'm shocked to learn that. <laughs> Jennifer Cruzy is still making the list. She doesn't even like romance anymore. She doesn't even go here. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. I will always love her. I feel proud of Nalini Singh. Like oh, even yeah. though she is, I'm doing that Australian thing where I'm taking ownership of New Sally Zealand. Thorne made the top ten. Yeah, but I don't like her book. <laughs> and I don't feel, yeah, I don't feel a connection to her the same way I do to Nalini. I love Nalini. Yeah. Actually, not the way I love C.S. Pacant, though. That's a different type of love. Okay. I actually don't know what I would have put as. I was um, going to ask you. I don't it's know because I know that the way that I voted was actually I was angry while I was voting, so I refused to vote for white people. Wish more people had voted like me. <laughs> Angrily, funny. with rage. Yeah. With rage. I with actually, rage and pettiness. But you know what? I actually don't <laughs> think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, obviously, you don't think it's a bad thing. You think it's a great thing. But I really think that that kind of anger needs to be more prevalent. But, yeah, I, I feel like for us – our Twitter feeds give us a false sense of diversity Definitely. in the readership that is not there in the sort of wider mainstream romance reading community, particularly in the US. But I also think that's just going to change. I think part of it is going to be generational. Can you say, can you, um, can we differentiate, do you mean reader tastes or readers themselves? Do you think romance, are romance readers predominantly white? I don't know. Don't know. I think there's But I think because, studies. so just speaking of my experience, my experience of romance growing up was all white characters. So if I ever, anytime I tried to write a romance, and I think when I talk to the romance class authors, they've mentioned this a few times as well. When you try to write romance, you pattern it after the types of romances that you've read. So if you've only read white romance, all your heroines have red hair and purple eyes and, you know, like the men wear kilt or whatever. <laughs> like it's really hard to be conscious that you're in that mode and deliberately write in a different way. Ethnicity, 73% a white Caucasian. Is that RWA? Yeah. So that's America, obviously, which isn't necessarily reflective. Do they say how they get these stats? <laughs> they say that they do it through NPD book. 
Oh, sample of 2,000 romance readers. That's not a lot. That's really not a lot to be making those kinds of claims. No. You'd have to have a very good sample to get a, a good representation. When you were talking about the, I'm determined to get my Courtney Milan love out there. <laughs> well, there's not an episode that goes by where, where I don't talk so, about her. Yeah. When you were talking about writing Tish and Herd romance <laughs> heroines, when I was talking about Unveiled by Courtney Milan, because that is the title of that book, the heroine is talking about having freckles or it, she doesn't want to go into the sun because it might cause her to get freckles. And the hero says something to her to the effect of what it's the actual problem with that. And she's like, oh, no, you're supposed to have, like, clear, pale skin. And I remember reading about that being kind of a, a moment for Milan being like, oh, this is some, like, this is some white bullshit I've internalised. What seems to be a really sort of standard romance novel suddenly takes this turn and it's really subtle but it's there and he says to her do you know why my peers want their brides to have pale skin they want a woman who is a canvas white and empty standing still existing for no other purpose than to serve as a mute object onto which they can paint their own hopes and desires they want their brides veiled they want a demure blank space they can fill with whatever they desire and that's one of those like just this idea of like every time you read about these heroines that have these like milky white skin, mm. creamy white skin, beautiful pale skin. And she's kind of gone, fuck, there's something really twisted about that and about like loving it to the point where it's, yeah. It. Yeah. That's why I stand Courtney Milan. Because like even when she's doing something that seems to fit within the scope of a typical romance trope. She's found a way, and it, it is subtle and it will pass a lot of people by, but like she's found a way to poke a hole into it. And I love that about her books. That's why I think she kept coming up when people were talking about the gateway episode of Rum Book Love. A lot of people talked about their gateway book and then they talked about and then I read Courtney Milan and you were, I know Kat, you were kind of like, isn't it interesting that a lot of people are making these distinctions between like, this is my gateway book, but this is the book where I started to be like, oh, romance novels. Yeah, totally. Or like, this is the author that started to make me do that. And I think that's the power of her books, that they fit within conventional romance but they do something so different every fucking time. And sermon over. <laughs> I think that what needs to happen for the next one is that these books that are kind of taking up space <laughs> on the list, like Pride and Prejudice, like we know that's a good book. Does it need to be a yearly reminder? Should it be a year, like should there be a time limit or a publishing limit? If it's a 2018 law list, why isn't it for books only from 2018? This is the thing that's confusing because, Rudy, you said that it's, it's a snapshot. Exactly, it's a snapshot. But why are we having books that were fucking written in the 80s? Well, I like, think, you know what? I think part of the problem is AAR hasn't defined what this list is. Yes. They actually can't decide themselves what 
they want this list to be. And therefore, they don't want to put parameters around it to define, well, they can't because they don't know what they want the list to be. So it's reader defined. You could put in there a story with an unhappy ending. And if enough people vote for it, it's going to make the list. Mm. So it doesn't even have to be romance. You can define. Jojo Meyer could be there. Jojo. No. No, she couldn't. She, she couldn't be did there. Did you just call it Jojo Maya? Is that not her name? <laughs> Maya's... I think it's Moyes or something. Oh, what? And whatever her fucking name is. <laughs> but yeah, oh, exactly. Moya. I don't, I don't care. I don't read it's her. It's got an S at the end, I'm pretty jo... sure. But... I don't know. I don't <laughs> I read Moyes. her. It is Moyes. There you go. I remember her. I was in the Philippines and I was in the bookshop with my cousin and she's like, oh, I've, I've heard about this book. You know, everyone's talking about it. I'm like... That doesn't end with a happy ending. She'd like put it down so far. She's like, I'm not reading that. But yeah, like that book was in the initial list, right? I think so. Yeah. And you're like, what is this thing that I'm supposed Me to vote on? It's not even a in, romance. Yeah. Me before you was in. It was in the initial Yeah, first it's not round. even the sequel where she supposedly get, gets her happy ending. But it's also not only one. is that like just not a romance novel, like the way it deals with disability is not. Yeah, but that's never bothered mainstream romance readers before, you know. Fair like correct. this is the whole part of like our Twitter feed being so different to Yeah, I don't know if you um if you followed the the disability day of Rum Book Love. No. But it was it was there were less tweets for one by is it Mecca or Mika? Mectastic? Yes. She said you guys need to actually recommend books with some care because <laughs> you can't just say like this is this is a book that features disability choose ones that feature it with good rap yeah because I, first of all it was really funny because i think it was the host post was talking about how most disabilities were either like there were just some specific kinds of disabilities that that were predominant in books that dealt with disability but also I pulled out the ones in my shelf that I knew had disabled hero heroine but then out of like there were only maybe 10 not even and then out of those 10 I had to choose the ones that actually legit recommend not just because it fit the theme Mm. and then so then I ended up with maybe two or three because the others I just because I'm I don't have a disability I can't it's hard for me to know whether it's a good representation but I couldn't in all honesty assume that it was well represented yeah. so there was one that got recommended several times and i i was like oh that sounds kind of familiar so i might reread it um i did it's terrible the rep was really bad it's by lucy monroe and it is moon craving moon craving is that a werewolf book yes okay so it's um medieval oh. historical scotland the heroine is deaf. She's the sister of uh, of the heroine from the previous book, which is Moon Awakening. Yeah, so she's she's deaf, which is the result of um of an illness that she had as a child, and then her sister kind of taught her how to fake it. Everybody spends a good chunk of the book raising her for being able to act like someone who can hear quote unquote normal Mm. and so it's not so much about like it's just it's a weird I don't think that anybody who has a hearing impairment or is deaf would actually be down with the representation of her (laughs) yeah it also goes to show how few books there are 
that you got fewer wrecks for Rumble Club and that we're kind of struggling. I think also that day there was quite a lot of people that decided not to engage because they felt that it wasn't their space to talk. Yeah. Is that is that legitimate to kind of take a step back and to say, I'm not really going to say anything because it's not my place? Amplify the voices then that are talking yeah. like, instead of just being silent. Well, yeah, that's, so like that's what they were saying. They were retweeting. I don't opposed. think they were Well, actually read though. the books that are being oh. recommended. You know? But I feel like responding would be a great place. That's what I would have thought. But, but I think people, it's exactly what Kat, I think, kind of hinted at, this idea that I don't know if the book that I'm recommending is a good representation because, like, I'm able bo- able-bodied, so what... Mm. What, what I do? think might be a good rep might be yeah. terrible. Like, especially when I was younger, I enjoyed lots of terrible books, mm. <laughs> you know, like you just didn't know any better. Mm. So we need to wrap up. Um, and normally, normally I end these episodes on a point where we're laughing, but this has been really <sighs> sad. It has, hasn't it? It's been like a pretty low tone We should today. start our own poll. Like, fuck, why don't we? Because of the so time involved. So work. <laughs> That's all we have time for in this episode. Huge thanks to our amazing and angry audio producer, Rudy Bremer. You can find the show notes for episode 60 at bookthingo.com.au slash podcast. In the coming weeks, the Bookthingo bloggers will be busy preparing for the IASPA conference. So we are reserving the right to change our podcasting schedule because there will be authors and academics and readers with interesting ideas descending upon our city. In the meantime, please visit us at bookthingo.com.au and have a fabulous fortnight of reading.